0: Human emotions we must be careful with our anger because though getting angry is not in itself wrong while we are angry we can be tempted to do hurtful things that we would not normally do but here are three excuses you can use to stay as angry as you want the perfectly normal excuse I would control my anger but sometimes it feels really good to lash out and hurt someone's feelings or break a lamp it seems like a perfectly normal thing to be completely reckless once in a while the not my fault excuse why should I have to control my anger other people need to control how they talk to me and then I won't get angry in the first place it's not my fault that everyone else on this earth does idiotic things and deserves to be yelled at (laughs) and finally the defense mechanism excuse I would be more careful with my anger but how will I get people to stop doing the things that make me angry right now if someone annoys me I scream at them and they go away It's like the thorns on a rose bush. It keeps things from destroying the plant. And my curse words and threats of violence keep people from continuing to do things I don't like. The Christian's Guide to Excuses. Wishing you good luck and great excuses.
1: Good morning, Dorisville. I thought y'all might enjoy that. We got some big monitors up here, guys. Big monitors. I don't mind hollering at you, but I want to hear myself while I do it. All right? Take your Bible this morning, please, and turn to uh, Matthew in chapter 5. They're working on it, I think, up there. Matthew chapter 5. We're in the third week of a series that is entitled, The Pursuit of Happiness. You know, everyone is looking for happiness. And, and here's the deal. Here's, here's the gig. I was sitting there thinking on the front row and listening to Tyler sing and watching the video. And you know, every addict of alcohol, every alcoholic, on one way to say it is they're looking for an escape. They're wanting to get away from a situation. Or another way of saying it, they're looking for something better. They're looking for happiness. Every person hooked on drugs is trying to get away. Or looking another way, they're trying to find happiness. Every person addicted to porn is trying to find an escape of the reality of where their life is. And they're looking, really, for happiness. And God has this incredible answer about what it takes in life to be happy. But it's a whole different set of standards. Let me just kind of jump into this. The sermon title today is called Bloodless Murder. Now, you know, I I, I sit at my desk just thinking of these weird titles, you know. And, And my thought was, have you ever heard the phrase, She screamed bloody murder. You ever heard that before? Well, so that's why I said, well, you know, we're going to talk about anger today. We're talking about relationships and about, you know, if we get angry with our brother, it'd be cool that because Jesus talks about being angry and murder on the same line, even though no blood is spilled. So we'll call it bloodless murder. So then I said today, you know, this is about 4.30 this morning. I'm looking at my computer going, I wonder what the origin of bloody murder is. And so I looked on the Internet, and it almost made me change the title because I found out that in Ireland and Scotland and England and places like that, that the word bloody is a cuss word. I said, oh, great. I almost have like a cuss word as part of my introduction. You know, if everyone say like in England said the bloody car, well, that's kind of used as a curse word in their country. But here's the deal. It's not in our country. So in America, you can say bloody car, and you're not cursing, but if you go to England, they have a different standard. In America, we have got so much, and I hope this tugs at your heart. You know, if you want to know how bad hunger is in the world, anybody want to know how bad hunger is in the world? Hunger is so bad, if you've been watching the news, and I'm not necessarily I approve of of the commercial for this, but when you can get Mike Huckabee and George Cooney, one of the, one of the most, most conservative guys there is, and one of the most liberal guys there is, on the same page saying, we need to do something about this, you know it's bad. And that's exactly what happened. Guys, there are people starving in this world. And God's calling us to make a difference. But you've got to have a different standard. And if you're going to find happiness in this world... God has a way, but it's a totally different standard. And it begins with a relationship. It begins three weeks ago when we were talking about we've got to reach a point where we realize that spiritually we're zero. That we need so desperately a relationship with God. And that begins by saying, hey God, I know that I'm a sinner. And I know I have nothing in this scale to bring to you and make it tilt my favor. I can't do enough good works. I can't go to church often enough. I can't give enough money to world hunger to ever tilt the scale in my favor. Jesus, the only answer is you. Because the Bible says the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So the pursuit of happiness begins with the source of happiness, and that's Jesus Christ. And then Brother Brent shared last week. It begins with a relationship and then a purpose. He told you last week as he talked about Jesus on the hillside, saying that you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. We are called to make a difference. The pursuit of our happiness is the fact that we are called by God to make a difference in this world, to help others find the source of happiness that we found. It's really crazy. You know why women keep having babies? I mean, it hurts. Now, I don't know personally. I made the mistake of saying one time that, that having a kidney stone and the, and the pain of labor was the same. And I got a very quick email that said, I've had a kidney stone and I've had a baby and they're not the same. Never say that again. But I understand it's very painful, but the reason why women have more than one child child, is the fact that they were created for that. One of the purposes that their womb cries out for is for the birth of children. Why it's so painful when when a lady cannot have a child is because that's what they're created for. Well, we are created as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ to make a difference in this world, to be salt and light, to help others find this purpose of life, this pursuit of happiness that we find in Jesus Christ. And then we come to today. We come to the sermon on bloodless murder, talking about a new way of life. And here's what I want you to do. I don't want you to close your eyes because you'll forget and you'll go to sleep. But I want you to imagine with me. It's a beautiful sunny day and we're on a hillside, a natural amphitheater, if you will. And Jesus, as the rabbi teacher is sitting. And his ministry is not very far along, okay? And he's talking not just to 12, although they may have been the initial circle, he's talking to hundreds and even perhaps thousands. That was the group of people he said, You need to come in a relationship with me. You need to come in a relationship with God. That was the group they said, Hey, you guys, you know, y'all out there. Yeah, I know you don't think you're important, but you're the salt of the earth, you're, you're the light of this world. And he's the one that he then calls to a radical way of thinking, a radical way of living. Now, listen, listen, that calls us to find happiness. Now, it begins in chapter 5 and verse number 17. And here's what Jesus says. Now, again, imagine he's on the hillside. You're there that day. And here's what he says. Oh, by the way, I forgot to mention, you're Jewish. And you've been raised around the Old Testament and the prophets. Here's what Jesus said. Do not think that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. The the word was out that there was a new rabbi. And this new rabbi was teaching radically different things. And there may have been some in the crowd who would have said, um, you know, this Jesus, he's got a new way. And Jesus is making very clear and saying, wait a minute, whoa, whoa, whoa. If you think I've come to soften the Word of God, then you're wrong. If you you think I've come to undermine the the law and the prophets, then then you're wrong. If If you think times have changed and society has changed and I've come to give you a different law, a different word, then you're wrong. Because I've not come to undermine. I've not come to soften. I have come to fulfill the very law of God. And we do it today. in this amazing thing we call grace. That somehow we figure out, if we ask God to forgive us, that, hey, that annuls all the law, and it does for our salvation. But God still calls us an incredible way to live. We, we sit there and go, well, I'm under grace, so I can do what I want to. I can steal, I can lie, I can cheat, I can do whatever I want to, because I'm under grace. Jesus would tell you today, you misunderstood. Because as believers in Christ, we go beyond the letter of the law to the intent of the law. Not for our salvation, but as a new way of life. And Jesus said, I've come to fulfill my teachings, fulfill the purpose of the law as God gave it to us. He goes on and says this. Whoever, therefore, breaks one of the least of these commands and teaches men so, they shall be called the least in the kingdom of God. But whoever does these things and then teaches them shall be called great in the kingdom
0: of God.
1: He says, hey, you you guys, you salt and light people. Hey, y'all out there who think you might want to follow me. You need to understand something. That you have great responsibility. You have great accountability. Because here's the deal. If you teach, break these least commands and teach others to do so, like you are like way small in the kingdom of God. But if you do this stuff and you teach others to do this stuff, then you're great in the kingdom of God. Of God. And this is huge because the scribes and the Pharisees were the law people. I mean, they, they made their living, literally, keeping the law. And Jesus is saying, These guys, they're doing the, the letter of the law, but they're not doing the intent. And you'd be quick to say, and you'd be right, That's right, Pastor. That's right. You better do this stuff. If you're going to tell us that you better do it. You'll be great in the kingdom of God. I say, Well, that's right. And you Sunday school teachers, if you're going to stand up and teach the Word of God, you ought to live it. Would you say amen to that? Come on, preachers ought to do what they say they're going to do. If we do that, then that's great. But if it's not, we do like incredible damage. Everywhere I go, I find people who say, yeah, but that pastor, yeah, but that deacon, yeah, but that teacher, yeah, but that church member. See that? It's because we're not being salt and light. It's because we're saying one thing and doing another. Here's what I want you to take home. You'd be absolutely right in saying, "Hey, pastor," and you'd really be right to say, "You deacons," and you'd be correct in saying, "You teachers." But it goes beyond that. You know, we spent the same school hour talking about this movie Courageous. And moms and dads, you're teachers. And, 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 when you, and when you break the least of these commands and teach others to do so, you're least in the kingdom of God. You're going, dude, preacher, I, I would never tell my kids, you know, to, to break one of the laws. Well, not with your mouth, you wouldn't. But you tell your kid not to cheat on the test, and then you turn around and cheat on your taxes. Can I have a little amen there? You're supposed to treat people right, but when you're stuck in traffic, hey, you, or And your kid's going, uh-huh. See, we're all teachers. Hey, every believer, every believer is subject to this. When we we break the least of the commands and teach others to do so, we're least in the kingdom. The calling is much higher than that. We are to hear what Jesus says on the hillside and do the stuff that Jesus says on the hillside. That's what he says. And the process... You're not going to find bondage. You're going to find, this is what it means to be free. Didn't Dave do a good job on that? I've been forgiven. You're going to find freedom when you do that, not bondage. Jesus goes a step further. For I say to you, that unless... Now, this is a real head-scratcher for the Jewish guys. For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, put yourself in the, in the hands of the Jews that day. They're sitting there, and they're like every ordinary people, you know, okay? And then Jesus says, in order to go to heaven, you've got to be more righteous than the guys who professionally keep the law. They spend the entire day trying to figure out how they can keep the law to the Let her when you and I went to Israel in 1997, there was they had an automatic elevator. It's so funny. The restaurant was open, but you couldn't mash the button on the elevator because that was work. So you got on the elevator and when the door closed, it automatically took you to the floor where the dining hall, where the restaurant was. So that way we didn't have to work to mash a button, and thereby violating the Sabbath in their eyes. The letter of the law. And Jesus looks at all the salt and the earth people out there going, okay, your righteousness has got to exceed that of the scribes and the Pharisees. And you're scratching your head. And you're going, wait a minute. They're professional good people. How can my righteousness be theirs. And Jesus would say, as Paul later later said, I know the answer. It's found in 2 Corinthians 5.21. Therefore, he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. What Jesus said is, Is what the giant scale can't do for you in that you weigh it out and get righteousness, the cross can. He said, you can never gain righteousness on your own. Because no matter how hard you try, you will violate the word of God. If you break one command, you're out. And God said, when you're out, the wages of sin is death. But then Jesus comes along. And they nail him to this cross. And the process of his death, every sin you've ever committed, will commit today, or are going to commit in the future, was placed on Jesus Christ that day. And not just yours. And not just all the white people in the world. Or the African American people in the world. Or the black people in Africa. Or the yellow people in China. Or the brown people in Mexico every sin of every man, woman, and child ever born on this earth from the beginning to the last breath was placed on Jesus that day. And he became that sin. And then he said this, If you'll believe that, I'll make a deal. I'll trade you. I'll trade you your sin, and you get my righteousness. And that's how Dwayne Taylor's going to heaven. Dwayne Taylor's not going to heaven... Because he's a Baptist preacher. Dwayne Taylor's not going to heaven because he's gone to church all of his entire life. Most of my life has spent a three time a weeker. I was there Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. I'm not going to heaven because I put an offering in the world hunger pot. I am going to heaven because of the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ and my faith that that sacrifice was sufficient. That's the way to heaven. That's the way to heaven. And Jesus says, if you want to go to heaven, your righteousness has got to exceed the professional religious people. And believe me, if the professional religious people couldn't tip the scale, you can't either. Heaven is wide open for every person, every man, woman, and child who will place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And what he did 2,000 years ago. That's what this is all about. Yeah, we're learning how to be happy. But I'm going back one more time and tell you, it all starts a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's not about church, guys. It's not about being dunked in some water or claiming some denomination as as yours. It's about what Jesus did 2,100 years ago when he shed his blood for me and for you. That's what
0: it's about.
1: And the only way my righteousness and your righteousness could exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees because, dude, they were good in their own eyes. It was through faith in Jesus Christ. But as you're going to see, the moment it goes a little bit further, even than that, because you're going to hear Jesus say something. I'll go and going to give you a precursor of what it is. You have heard, but I say. It begins with a relationship. And that's my positional security in Jesus Christ. But it's evidenced by a changed life. It's evidenced by a changed life. Because the Pharisees, now watch, the Pharisees would look at the law as we're going to look at today, thou shalt not murder. And they said, okay, I've not pulled my 44 magnum out, go ahead and make my day. And blow somebody's head off. I've not done that, so therefore I am righteous. Because their intent was to look at the letter of the law. And Jesus says, it begins with a relationship. But if you claim a relationship and you say the letter of law, something is wrong. Because my teachings fulfill the law and go so much further than that. This is not the law. This can be evidence of a changed life. This doesn't get you to heaven. But I'll tell you this. People who know Jesus learn to give. People who know Jesus learn to be generous. People who know Jesus learn to forgive. People who know Jesus learn that, you know what, looking at a woman to lust after her is like committing adultery in your heart. People who know Jesus find happiness, but not the way the world would. Because the world would tell you, keep every dollar. Because that dollar will buy you happiness. And boy, is that flawed. Can I have an amen? There's way too many unhappy people in this world for that to be true. But can I have a witness today that in this room there might be some people who have experienced a relationship with Jesus Christ and had had a taste of what happiness is all about. Can I have a witness? Your righteousness had to exceed. It begins with a relationship, but that relationship has got to be evidenced with a changed life. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, this concept of I know Jesus and live like the devil is a heresy. It's a heresy. You meet Jesus... And God begins a new work in your life, never perfect, never perfect, but a process of becoming more and more like Jesus, thinking like Jesus, talking like Jesus, doing like
0: Jesus.
1: I just want to tell you, if you find yourself saying, yeah, 20 years ago I did, and I'm still living like I did 20 years ago, I don't know what you got, but it's not a relationship with Jesus Christ. It might be some pizza you ate two weeks ago, but it's not a relationship with Christ. Well, dude, you sound like you're kind of judging me there. No, like I say, you know what I say at funerals in the, in the ultimate eternal things. Like God's gonna say, "Oh yeah, Dwayne said." I know. Okay, huh. it's between you and God. I'm just telling you. God's word says that when you meet Jesus, you begin a process of becoming and believing, and talking, and breathing like Him. And it takes you a whole lifetime to fulfill it. Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will no wise enter. No exceptions. You've got to have a relationship based on the cross. And that relationship should be evidenced by changed values, changed life, changed priorities change you the man being christ paul wrote in second corinthians 5 17 he's a new creation old things are passed away and behold all things have become new new so the rabbi continues sitting on the side of the hill and says this you have heard that it was said to those of old this is verse number 21 you shall not murder And whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. And they're all going, oh yeah, we blessed. That's what we've heard. You're right. You kill somebody, and boy, you're going to have to answer to God for that one. And see, our society has bought that. I've not convinced you yet, I don't think. But the reason why certain things are considered wrong in America is because society has said they're wrong. The reason why a marriage between a man and a man was wrong because society said in America it was wrong. As the church has set on their hands society has changed. Because we haven't been salt and light in this world society is starting to believe they're starting to redefine marriage as a marriage can be between any two people. That That's not what the Word says. In fact, Jesus said, I may have skipped over it. Jesus said, let me just tell you this. That not one jot or one tittle is going to change until all has been fulfilled. A jot was like the eye over the small, a dot over a small eye. The tittle, if you take a capital R, it looks like a P, and then when you put this on here, it changes it to an R, that's the tittle. And Jesus said, not one, one jot or one tittle will pass until all is fulfilled. The Word of God that was accurate 2,000 years ago is still accurate today. The Word of God that this country was founded on 230-some years ago is still accurate today. And if Jesus Christ carries 100 years, look at it in the future 100 years, the same Word of God that we teach today will be applicable 100 years from today. It doesn't change. Yeah, come on. It doesn't change. And for some of you who go, yeah, but, you know, you're tempted to work and say, well yeah, you don't understand though. You know, God doesn't understand. His Word is timeless. His Word is timeless. And because society changes, doesn't mean you needed a Word. It means you need a new society. That's the hope for America. That the church will be salt and light once again and believe this Word and apply this Word. Here at church, that's the easy part. But at school, in the coal mines, Where you call home. That's what changes things. See, you've heard you shouldn't kill. But but, but I'm going to say something different to you. What I say to you. You're going to hear this over and over again now in the Beatitudes as the rabbi sits on the side of the hill and says, You've heard this, but I'm going to tell you this. But I say to you. That whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. Now, let me say this first. You just need to know something. You know, as time has progressed, particularly several decades ago, but older manuscripts were found. The New King James and the King James, the manuscripts it was based on, there's been older manuscripts found. And that without a cause... Is not in the older manuscripts. Like I was talking to one of my brothers in class this morning, it makes a great excuse clause. It's like it's like the guy who translated this part said, "Oh, we need an excuse clause." It didn't change the word of God. I it mean, it's invalid. I'm just telling you that in the oldest manuscripts we have today, Jesus said these words. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother shall be in danger of the judgment. What's Jesus saying? He, he says, here's the intent of thou shalt not murder. He said, goes beyond spilling blood to bloodless murder. He says, if you are angry with your brother, you're in danger of the same judgment that a guy who pulls out the 44 and plugs somebody. Jesus viewed this anger thing on the same equation as murder. Now you're going, "Uh uh-uh. Study it yourself. Don't take my word for it. Go home. Get on the internet. And you'll find that's exactly right. Now see, there is good anger. In Ephesians chapter 4, Paul wrote and said, Be angry and sin not. I'm going to tell you I'm going to tell you when America will change. When the church gets angry enough about sin, then America will change. When we get angry, notice I didn't say get angry at the Democrats, or angry at the President, or angry at the Republicans, or angry at the Tea Party, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm saying when God's people get fired up and hate Satan and hate sin, we're going to see America change. There's a good anger. But there's this horrible anger. This horrible anger. When we hold something against our brother. Jesus says, you're in danger of the judgment. Well, Dwayne, how do you know good anger from bad anger? Well, he tells us. He says, whoever says to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. And whoever says you fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. The words from your mouth identify your anger. The words in your mind identify your anger. If you, if a, if a, pick, a name, pick a name, pick a name, pick a name, pick a name, any name. Pick a name. And if suddenly harsh words come to your mind, Angry thoughts come to your mind, that is unjustifiable anger. And I can say, if we could just transfer that power to sin, it'd be pretty cool. So Jesus is saying, man, if you're angry with your brother, you're in danger of judgment. Now listen, please hear me. This is Jesus, the Son of God, earning this ministry, speaking these words to us. But we love that without a cause, clause. We love it. Yeah, but you don't know, and and, and he doesn't know, and you don't know what my life is like. You don't know what he did or she did. And you don't know how many times he or she did it to me. Jesus said, I'm just telling you, that if you're angry at your brother without a clause, if you're angry with your brother, you're in danger of the judgment. And your words. Identify that anger. So here's what he said do. Therefore. If you bring your. Gift. To the altar. If you bring your gift to the altar. And there remember that your brother. Has something against you. Leave your gift. There. There before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. He says if you're in the tabernacle in the temple that day and and offering time and you bring your financial gift to God, you come and while you're there something pricks your conscience and you you remember, oh man, I think I offended or I think so and so is mad at me. Now, we Baptist preachers wouldn't like this, but leave your gift and then go make it right. We want you to make sure you get the money in the pot first. Leave your gift and go make it right. Can I tell you something? I had to make a phone call this morning. Because about two weeks ago, what I thought was true, I offended someone with my words and my actions. And I'm studying to this mess today. And God made it real clear to me. Unless you want to be a liar and a hypocrite, you better make a phone call. And that person's here today, and he or she will verify that I made that phone call. And I said, I need to do something today, this morning. She said, what's that? I said, I tell you I'm sorry, because i got a suspicion. My words and my actions, when they happened, offended you. Now, would you please forgive me? And she did. See, I couldn't bring this this sacrifice today of this sermon. I had to leave it on the altar until I made it right. Can I just propose something to you? I keep wondering how come it is. How come it is that sometimes we come to church and it just seems deader than a doornail? Personally. And you go home and say, that preacher... He should have studied just a little bit longer. Maybe he should have prayed just a little bit longer because, boy, that was one dead message. Could it be that there's so much junk in our lives that the Holy Spirit could be going, hey, you, and we wouldn't hear him? Is it possible that we need to leave some gifts on the altar and get some business taken care of so individually and corporately God can break loose in our services and we can see people saved and lives changed and families saved? Is it possible? But as long as we keep this junk in our hearts, whether it be the anger or the adultery or whatever it is that we just, Jesus is going to talk about in the coming weeks. We can't worship. Individually, and I think of enough people, corporately. I mean, let's be honest. Sometimes the preachers need to stay a little longer. <laughs> this one does. Sometimes we need to pray a little bit more. Yeah, I understand that. But I'm honestly convinced until we learn to apply the Word of God to our lives, we won't see our families saved. We won't see our marriages healed. We won't see our neighbors saved or our children saved, our lost people in the neighborhood saved or Africa fed until we make it right so we can bring our gifts to the altar. And your Jesus said that, not me. Therefore, leave it. Go your way and make it right. And then we see this. If there ever was an incredible example of wisdom of Jesus, this is big. Watch this. In verse 25. Agree with your adversary quickly while you are on the way with him. Lest your adversary deliver you to the judge and the judge hand you over to the officer and you be thrown into prison. Just saying you need to understand something. It's better to settle out of court. Because if you settle out of court, you won't end up in prison. Bring it Dwayne, could you bring it to the 21st century? Sure can. The longer you let it go, the higher the consequences and the penalty. Jesus says if you offend your brother or your sister, you got some junk going on in your life, it's better to heal it now than let it get down eight months down the road because I'm telling you, if you go to the judge, you're going to end up in prison and some of you today are locked up in jail. You don't know what it means to be free because you've got bitterness. You've got anger. You've got jealousy. You've got habits running rampant in your life. And they stole your joy, and they stole your happiness, and they stole your family, and they stole your marriage, and they're in the process of stealing your children. And you're locked up in prison. And the only answer is to take care of it. In the context of today, it means going to someone, making a phone call, praying for someone. In the context of your marriage, in the context of your life, in the context of where you are. It means taking care of it, doing it, doing it. And then as the brother sang with fervor here, this is what it means to be free. Thank you, Father, for the illustration. I just wish it had been someone else besides me. As I thought about this morning, making that call what is, what if the person wouldn't receive it what if they lambasted me you call yourself a beggar what if it didn't go right and you know, you ever get that feeling in your stomach the butterfly thing the oops I ate one extra piece of pizza I shouldn't have ate. Anchovies or triple whopper, large king-size fry and a large Coke. And your cholesterol level is going beep, 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 And your stomach's going blah, 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 Made that phone call. She was so gracious. And all of a sudden it's like the triple whopper was gone. Come on, have an Amen. The extra pizza was gone. The anchovies were gone. The weary gut feeling was gone. You know why? Because God said, this is what you need to do. And for once, (laughs) I did it. And guess what? He was right. Imagine that. God right. Come on, amen. I'm telling you guys. When we start doing what the Word of God says, it works. If we keep doing what we're doing, it won't. Assuredly, he says in verse 26 Assuredly, I say to you, now who's talking? Who's talking? Let's try again. Who's talking? Jesus, your Savior. Assuredly, I say with confidence, without a doubt, you can take it to the bank. Assuredly, I say to you, you will by no means get out of there until you have paid the last penny. You've got to understand, he says, until if you take care of the business you're going to stay locked up and locked out. Until you take care of business, you're going to remain in the prison of disobedience. Locked up and locked out from the blessings of God. Dwayne, why don't I feel the blessings of God? Are you in prison today? Is there business you've got to take care of? Please don't limit it, because I don't think Jesus did. Don't limit it to just relationships. Are there habits? Is there sin that needs to be confessed? Is there changes that you need to make? Because I'm telling you this. Time will not unlock the door. Because we think, well, yeah, I've got a little problem, but I'll give it some time you think time's going to get you out of prison. It won't. Distance won't get you out of prison. I'll go find me another church. I'll go find me another pastor. I'll go find me another wife. I'll go find me another husband. I'll go find me another career. I'll go find me another town. Well, guess what? When you get to your new pastor and your new church and your new husband and your new wife and your new town and your new career, you're going to find chains and locks. Because distance won't get you out of prison. But what does? Obeying Jesus Christ. His Word sets us free. Jesus said in John chapter 6, the words that I share with you, they are spirit and they are life. And all of a sudden, when this stuff starts working in your lives, all of a sudden there's a freedom. And you want to start understanding where Jesus said, you shall know the Son. If you know the Son, you shall be free indeed. Can I have a witness? Jesus is a freeing Savior, not a rule-keeping bondage slave master. Jesus has called us to freedom. And over the next three weeks or so, we're going to take snippets of this, and we're going to try to do the same thing on Sunday nights, and maybe even Wednesday nights, who knows. We're going to take snippets of this Sermon on the Hillside with Jesus, so we can identify areas that we might need to turn over to God so we can be free. So can I ask you this? Does your righteousness exceed that of the most religious person you know? If you're Catholic, it's the Pope. Does your righteousness today exceed that of the Pope's? In your eyes? If you're bad this, it's Billy Graham. Does your righteousness exceed that of Billy Graham? The only way that your righteousness can exceed the professional or the real wow people you know is Jesus Christ. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believed in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God says, I would like to give you today what you cannot earn. I would like to give you today what you cannot pay for. And that is righteousness. But God, how? But he made him, but God made his son, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Forgiveness is through Jesus Christ. Not the non-denominational, not the Methodist, Presbyterian, Pentecostal, or the Southern Baptist Convention. Righteousness is through
0: Jesus Christ.
1: Brothers and sisters, friends, does your righteousness practically is it is it shown in your life? Do you constantly find your standard being that of the world and not your Savior on the hillside? Do you find yourself saying, I keep the letter of the law? I do church three times a week. I write my 10% check. But you find yourself willingly angry with people and unwilling to forgive and bitter and filled with hatred? Jesus says, leave your, leave your gift and go do business. If it's a relationship thing, and they're, and they're aware of it particularly, you're going to have to go to that person probably and do some, just, you know, just, just eat crow. If it's a habit thing, you may need an accountability partner. You may need someone who'll say, okay, did you look at porn this week? Did you gossip again this week? Did you lie again this week? You may need a partner who'll hold your feet to the fire and be accountable does your righteousness exceed that of the Pharisees in a practical way? Do you go beyond the letter of the law to the intent of the teachings of the Word of God and the Lord Jesus Christ? Not to be saved, don't misread, not to be saved, but it's evidence that you have been saved. I got another question down at the bottom. This is the one that drove me to the phone. I wrote this long before this morning. Have you offended or hurt someone with your words or actions? Have you offended someone, hurt someone with your words or your action? Things to be taken care of. Kids, if it's, your, if it's your parents, parents, if it's your kid, if it's a friend, if it's a husband, if it's a wife. Do you need to leave it and make it right? So you can worship again. So your husband or wife doesn't have to drag you to the car to come to church because you just can't wait to get here again. Do you need to leave it and make it right? And lastly this. Are you in jail? Are you in prison today? And do you want to be free? Because until you want to be free, you may be satisfied in solitary confinement. You know, there are actually men and women in jail today, in prison, because that's where they want to be, because that's the only life they know. They get three meals a day, they don't have much freedom, but they're just satisfied. Maybe that's where you are. Because that's because you forgot what it means to be free. I know a guy with a key. That's my key. I think there are seven of these in existence. As your senior pastor, I get one. This key is power. I can unlock any door in this new building with this one key. Some of you may have keys with 2AA. That'll get you in the outer door. I can get in the sound booth. I can get in Adrian's closet. I can get to your ball closet if I want to, or the chair closet. I can get in Ruth's pantry if I want to. This is the key that sets me free. And there's a key that will set you free in his name. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. Will you bow your head right there? We have a time of decision at the end of our services. And I really mean, I hope you believe me today that Jesus can set you free. If you're here today and you've never experienced a relationship with God, You've never experienced the power of His forgiveness and His grace and His love and His mercy and His happiness. I'd like to invite you today to come talk to my friend Brent. And we'll have everybody close their eyes so it's not like to embarrass you at all. But we got some friends who can show you because we don't want to give you a counterfeit. We don't want you to misunderstand. We want you to know what it means, the decision you're making, to ask God for forgiveness and commit to follow Him. We want you to be free. If you'll take down, take Brent by hand and say, I want to know how I can be free today. And Brent will get a friend, or I will, or he will, and we'll show you from the Word of God how you can be free. There's two kinds of people here. Those who have been forgiven and those yet to be forgiven. It's not good or bad. It's those who are forgiven, those yet to be forgiven. But for those of us who have been forgiven, forgiven. Are we free? Do you need to leave your gift at the altar today and make it right? And and I know, I know it may be hard for you to go to that person today here in this room, but maybe you can on the phone or maybe visit their home or maybe grab off at your house and say, hey, can we talk about this? Maybe your child, your spouse, Once you remember what it feels like to be free, you'll never want to be in bondage again. The altar is open this morning. It's a place of prayer. If you want to come today, and you, have to, you know it may not be about that. It may be about a broken heart over a death of a loved one or sickness or pain. And we've got some great folks who will pray with you down here. We invite you to come.